Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you about another great ESPN podcast, Brian Windhorse and the Hoop Collective. Three times a week, Wendy and his cohorts bring you all of the NBA insights and analysis that you need. That's Brian Windhorse and the Hoop Collective, available wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. It is that time of week where we have a guest join us. Be sure to check out Brian Windhorse and the Hoop Collective, available wherever you get your podcast. Brian Windhorse, what's going on? Hello, Mr. Jones. How are you? Dude, I am good. Glad to have you on here and... I want to get this from you to start. We're going to talk about all the crazy stuff going on with the NBA, the play-in chase and everything else. But you have maybe my favorite NBA story of the 21st century, and I don't want to wait to get this long. We get to the end, and we forget about it. So for the people who don't know, can you tell the people about that time Paul Silas and Ira Newble had a conversation in front of you oh, in Atlanta? Man. Are we allowed? What's the cussing rule? Oh, I guess it's all it's fair game, is... baby. We got editing, baby. We got edited. All right. I hate to make your fine producers do extra work. <laughs> um, Okay, this is the thing I have to say. This is my first year on the beat, age 25 years old, soaking wet behind the ears, okay? That's number one. Um, number two, this is the second week of the season, all right? Paul Silas, may he rest in peace, he just recently passed away, was like a mentor to me. Um, I'll never have a coach-journalist relationship like that. You probably even shouldn't. I admired the man greatly. Um, he taught me so much, and including taught me uh, a lot on this particular day. So the game was in Atlanta. The Cavs was LeBron James rookie year. The Cavs are off to a bad start. Um, maybe two and seven, something along those lines. Um, <clears throat> they're not playing well. They're playing in Atlanta. Ira Nubel was a guy the Cavs had signed in the offseason, role player, um, wingman, um, and um, wingman, swingman. Um, he had played in Atlanta the last few years and lived in Atlanta. And he had just gotten his big contract, you know, like a $15 million deal. The big thing for him, he had invited a bunch of friends and family to the game. And in come the Cavs. And Silas decided he was going to make some changes. And he, I think, played Ira maybe three minutes in the whole game. So Ira was embarrassed in front of his friends and family and upset about not getting playing time. And the Cavs lost again. And so after the game was over, he decided to go see Paul Silas in the, the coach's office at the visiting team coach's office and have a little say about his lack of playing time. And to set the lay of the land, the coach's office has a door to the hallway where the media is. And the locker room has a door to the hallway where the media is. They're kind of side by side. And so Paul is in there and Ira is in there and we start to hear screaming through the, through the, the door. All of a sudden the door flies open and out comes Ira Newble. He's dressed, but he's not like buttoned down. Okay. Like he's, he's it, there's, there's shirts are open, like, and he is on his way out of the office in a hurry. And on his heels comes 63 year old Paul Silas. We call him the grizzly bear. Right on his heels coming out of the door into the hallway where the media is. <laughs> Ira like bumps into one of the media members and he turns back around and see silas on his heels and silas goes get back here you hip-hop mother <laughs> and uh silas you know ira um had like long braids i don't know if that's what silas was saying um and ira turns around and he goes i don't care about you i don't care about you and silas goes you get your ass back in this office you're gonna care about me and i'm standing there bomani in between silas and ira in this hallway like petrified, petrified. And Silas has this look on his face. Like he doesn't want, he's ready to go. And uh, Paul had all these scars around his eyes and forehead, all these stitches marks. Cause back when he played in the NBA in the sixties and seventies, he went to war with dudes and he, he was not afraid to throw down. In fact, there was another player and I don't want to get aggregated and I don't want to, you know, speak ill of anybody's out of the league anymore, but there was another player the next year that Paul took him by the, by the kind of by the, the shirt and threw him into a locker. 
Um, so um, that player wasn't on the team for very much longer. <laughs> so this was like this incredible moment. And Ira like bugged out and ran away. And Paul just uh, kind of did this sniff like, you know, <laughs> in my head he spit, but I don't think he really spit. He just sniffed like I took care of that sniveling punk. You know, who's next? You know, and, um, you know, I talked to him about it, you know, weeks later. And he's like, yeah, I, he's like, I was thrilled. He, I go, why? He goes, oh, man, I was looking for a fight. I was looking for for someone to send a message. A team was playing like crap, and I was looking to send a message. He came in, and it was a godsend. And I go, well, you couldn't have liked that he went out the door. You'd probably preferred him to go in the locker room, you know, bat, instead of got He's like, no, I'm glad you all saw it. So, you know, this is a difficult situation. Here's the other thing, Bomani. The players didn't know what kind of it happened. Because it happened in front of the media. This is the this is the inverse situation. Normally, the, me, the you know stuff goes down in the locker room. Media doesn't know about it, and you get in the locker room after the game, and you can feel like something just happened, but no one's talking. Now this is the inverse. Now we saw it. We go, but the locker room hadn't opened yet, so we go into the locker room like I don't know four minutes later. The players don't know. They're completely unaware. I mean, maybe they saw Ira go in there. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe Ira was like, I'm going to go talk to that, you know, SOB. And, uh, and like, we were like, uh, I remember asking LeBron, we were like, um, LeBron, how's the chemistry and mood on the team? You know, he's 18. Uh, we're, we're fine. What <laughs> so I remember we had to wait for Paul Silas to come out of the office to try to get a comment. He'd already spoken to us, but now, you know, this had happened. And so, we wait very uneasily. So, you know, sure enough, about 20 minutes. We never saw Ira again. I don't know what happened. I don't know. I mean, he somehow made it back to Cleveland. I don't know if he went with the team or not. Uh, he did get suspended. <laughs> and uh, Ira, I remember asking Ira about it. And, and he goes, he goes, I said, do you regret that? He goes, yeah, I regret it. I go, oh, um, uh, you know, getting a screaming match with your uh, coach. He's like, no, it cost me $30,000. <laughs> so, because that was what the suspension cost him. But I remember... Paul came out of that office after we waited to see what he would say about that. And like, you know, four of us like walked up to him and we're, you know, trying to get a comment. He just raised his hand and that was all that needed to be said. <laughs> we all backed the hell off. We're like, all right, we'll catch you tomorrow. We'll catch you in a couple of days. I, so, I miss when um, NBA coaches are willing to fight their players. And I mean that sincerely. That was my second week <laughs> on the Navy third. Like, I, was like, I guess this is how it goes. Yeah, like welcome to the NBA, right? Because you had been covering preps before that, right? I had done some colleges, but preps, yeah. And like stuff happened. Like so, there was another Ricky Davis got kicked out of a practice. The Cavs used to practice inside the arena. And one day this the circus was going on. Literally the circus was going on. And um uh we came to practice and this in the main bowl of the arena, there's you know. 7,000 kids and 7,000 parents. And he had gotten furious at Ricky Davis and kicked Ricky Davis out of practice. And so Ricky's walking around the concourse, like eating a hot dog that he bought from an open place. And he'd been kicked out of practice. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that happened in that first year that I'd never seen again, but man, it, there is some, some good memories of it. <laughs> Ricky Davis. I will always remember. He was glad they got LeBron because finally they were going to get him some help. That's right. <laughs> they were going to yeah, he was he was LeBron was brought in to support Ricky. <laughs> now I tell people my brother went to graduate school at University of Iowa and played a lot of ball at the field house there and he was talking about Ricky Davis or Ricky was 15, right? Like people just didn't have an understanding of Ricky Davis really didn't look at LeBron. Like the way people think it's crazy that Paul Pierce thinks he's as good as Dwayne Wade, that's exactly how Ricky Davis was looking at LeBron James. Like, "Oh yeah, I used to be you." Yeah. Cool. Let me show you the ropes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I always was fascinated by that relationship. I've tried to like write about it and probe on it, but no one will really talk about it. I was actually just within the last few months talking to Darius Miles, who was on that team. Remember Darius with the, yeah. you know, the head thing with him and Quentin Richardson. And uh, he's like, no, he's like, Ricky, he's like, Ricky and uh, LeBron were cool. He's like, he's just a media thing that they didn't like each other. And I was like, if you say so, if you're if you're holding down this, this this twenty years later, I admire you because they traded Ricky before November was out. Yes, or maybe it was the first week of December. That's all you need to know.
Now, uh, speaking of LeBron, as we are now in year 20, and it can be easy to forget just how incredible this is for what he's doing in year 20. I never thought that there was a possibility that they could be playing for the five seed at this point in the season. It just really seems to hinge a lot on whether those two guys, he and Anthony Davis, can stay healthy together for two months together, which seems like a little bit too much to ask. But are you surprised at how much the Lakers have turned this around since they made those trades? Yeah. I mean, part of it is the West is weak. Um, of the last, like, 20 or so years, this is probably the weakest the West has been in terms of, like, um, you know, quality of teams, overall teams. I mean, there's some there's some dangerous teams because there's a bunch of star players, but all of these teams are really flawed. And so we've been talking for weeks about how tight it all is and how it's all going to shake out and how there's going to be a good team or two that doesn't make it. But we shouldn't confuse um, competitiveness for quality. It's not been quality. And that's a gift to the Lakers. You know, the Lakers, um, they started the season 2-10. and 10. Uh, you start a season two and 10, it's an indication that you are in trouble and they were in trouble and they've crawled out of that hole. They, they, they were playing better for a couple of months um, before the trade. And I say playing better. They had like crawled back within, you know, five or six games of 500. So they were playing over, you know, they started two and 10 and then for like the next three months, they were five games over 500. And so you can say five games over 500, like, pfft is that special in the West this year? It is special. Like if you played five games over 500 for the whole year, they'd have been practically in contention for a first round home court advantage situation. So they had been playing better. AD then went down with an injury and then LeBron went down with an injury. And you know, the Westbrook trade was so damaging because it absolutely gutted them out um, that I really didn't think they could fix it. I really thought their best option was basically to send Westbrook home. Uh, or I thought trade for any players they could get, literally any live bodies that they could put on the team just because Westbrook was such a bad fit for what they wanted to do. And they ended up getting a trade that actually helped them. Now, I don't think any of these guys that they got are headed for the Hall of Fame, but it got them a lot of options, a lot more options. It got them a, you know, some three-point shooting on some nights. You know, They're still not a good three-point shooting team, but they have some dangerous players. It enabled them to change who their rotations were. And they've become one of the best defensive teams in the league since that trade. And so there's kind of like two Lakers. There's the Lakers that sit around, you know, barely over 500, um, you know, trying to, you know, like crazy to get out of the play-in tournament um, because there are 50 games that they had with Westbrook still sit on their permanent record. And then there's the Lakers since that trade who are one of the best teams in the Western Conference, one of the best defensive teams in the whole league. I think, you know, really they've been the number one defensive team in the whole league in terms of the rating um, since that trade. And, like, that's a formidable team. So it is not something I foresaw. And because of the general weakness in that conference this year, I can't rule anything out in what they could do in the playoffs. Yeah, like I think the most interesting thing for me about the West this year, at least with the top seven seeds, like I think once you get below seven, the, the teams are different, right? Like yeah. you don't feel like New Orleans, Minnesota, or Oklahoma City's got a chance in every series they play. Every other team from top to bottom, you do feel like that. It's almost like the seeding number barely matters. It's only telling you who's going to wind up getting home court, which is probably going to matter a lot in the West because as much as we talk about the Warriors and how bad they are on the road because they're abject on the road, there's one team in the Western Conference with a winning record on the road, and it's the team that nobody has any faith in. It's Sacramento. Everybody else, you got a couple teams at 500. You got Denver like one under. Nobody in the whole conference can win on the road. For sure. And the other thing about Sacramento is they've got like a bottom five or six defense, which historically you would never take a team that ranks 25th or 26th in defense seriously. You'd say, well, maybe if they get a favorable matchup where they get like they're super hot on offense uh, for a couple of games, maybe they could squeak through a series. Um, but because, you know, the way this year is and because it's an offensive based league now, the Kings have the best offense in the league. So, but that's who everybody wants to play, you know? And what, I, what will be interesting to me is when we get to the weekend, if there's any manipulation as teams try to play the Kings, because the difference between the five seed and the six seed for those, you know, contenders out West, those sort of 
uh, I don't know how, what kind of how you want to call them, like sort of legacy contenders, because you don't look at the Clippers and see their record and feel impressed. But then you say, oh, well, they got Kawhi and we'll hopefully get Paul George back if they can make a run. You look at the Lakers, they have LeBron and AD. You look at the Warriors, defending champs, they have their whole team there. Those are sort of legacy contenders, and they're not contenders on their record. But you look at them, and the difference for them between the five seed and the six seed is unbelievable. Because if you're in the five seed, you got to play the Suns, who, as we record this pod, have still not lost with Durant in in the lineup. Now, it's not like it's been 60 games, but Durant's some. Durant's got like a 950 winning percentage uh, in this, like the last four months when he's put on the team, whether it was the Nets or the, or the, or the, uh, I mean, he hasn't lost a game he's played in Bo in four months. Now, granted he's, he's, um, he's missed a lot of time. So hasn't played in every game, but like the man hasn't experienced an L. Okay. Now go beat him four out of seven. So, Nobody wants that team. Plus, if you're in the 4-5 game, not only do you got to face the Suns in the first round, the Nuggets are on that side of the bracket. The Nuggets uh, have been the number one team in the West throughout the entire year. They got the number one road record or a home record, or maybe if they're not number one, they're, you know, just slipped to number two recently. But they're a beast to play at home. Um, And, you know, they're the, the best team in the West all year. If you're on that side of the bracket, it's harder. When you're on in the sixth seed, you play uh, the Kings, who you don't fear as much as the Suns. I mean, the Kings fans take that as an insult. The Kings players take that as an insult, but it's just the truth. Uh, they don't fear them. And you got the Warriors sitting there going, man, if we could get the sixth seed, we wouldn't even have to get on a plane to go play this series. Um, and they're not afraid of anybody, and they're sure not afraid of, of the Kings. Um, so the question will be is when we get to this weekend – when maybe there's less of a threat that you might miss the playoffs altogether, whether a team might try to manipulate a win or a loss right at the end to get into the sixth seed. The fascinating thing will be the role that the Portland Trailblazers will play um, this week, potentially this weekend, because nobody has tanked as hard this year as the Trailblazers. The Trailblazers are in the middle of, one of the more aggressive tanks that you will see coming off of a year when they had a very aggressive tank. And the, they finished the season playing the Clippers and the Warriors. And it's very, it's very conceivable that both the Clippers and the Warriors could be incentivized to lose those games. And you could end up in a tank off, <laughs> an absolute tank off. We saw this a couple of years ago between the Clippers and the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Thunder were trying to lose to get better playoff positioning, and the Clippers were trying to lose to get a better playoff seeding. And they staged a game on the last night of the season in Oklahoma City, and it was without fans in the building. That was one of the most remarkable. I promise you almost nobody was watching it. It was one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. The lineups that they were playing, the what they were doing in that game, it was actually entertaining in a way to watch the two teams. The players were trying to win, but the, what the coaches were doing to try to lose was crazy. You could see that happen potentially this weekend against the Blazers team that is desperately trying to lose as well. And so we could have some, some uh, sort of low-key, fascinating tank maneuvers over the weekend trying to manipulate that sixth sure. seed. I will just say this. Last year, a similar situation not quite as exactly the same happened in the East. Teams are trying to avoid, ironically, Durant again. They're trying to avoid the Nets. They were saying, oh, man, I don't want to get on the same side of the bracket as the defending champion Bucks and the Nets. And there was this sort of lose-off happening. And the Celtics had this situation, and they said, you know what? We're not going to, you know, Brad Stevens is like, we ain't going to do that. He made Doko's like, we ain't going to do that. We're going to try to win. And they won the last day of the season and fell into the undesirable spot where they had to play the Nets in the first round and the Bucks in the second. Slapped the hell out of the, the Nets, swept them. They got fortunate with the Bucks that Chris Milton got hurt, but got by the Bucks, won the East, and were up 2-1 in the finals. So it's entertaining for those of us watching on the outside. I don't think maybe it's season-defining potentially on who gets that 5-6. Well, I think it's also interesting that nobody, I mean, people seem to be trying to get into the six so they can play Sacramento and they want to avoid Phoenix. But there's almost an irony in the fact that the teams that we're talking about jockeying 
Phoenix doesn't really want to see any of them either, right? Like, you don't feel great going in. Like, oh, we're just going to play against LeBron and AD. Oh, we're going to play against the Warriors. Or even the Clippers, though we have no idea if Paul George is even going to play. Like, it, nothing sounds like Paul George is going to come back anytime soon. But Phoenix is in this interesting place where everybody is scared of playing against them. But I feel like they have to be a little bit nervous about some of these teams that they would have to play against in the first round. Well... Good point. And that's, that's another little piece of intrigue headed for this weekend. The Sun, the uh, Sun's last two games um, are uh, against the Clippers and Lakers. And so they potentially could help control who they play in the first round. Um, they won't be able to control what happens with the Warriors, but they may have a good feel by Friday or Sunday when the last two games are, how a win or a loss could affect it. And, you know, they could very easily shut down and say, yep, KD is going to sit, you know, Chris Paul is going to sit, Booker is going to sit. They could very easily shut down and sort of nudge those teams into certain spots. Um, or they could go full bore, you know, um, you know, they probably, you know, like I said, they're undefeated with, um, with Durant play and they could play to win. Um, you know, Friday's game is especially interesting. Lakers Suns, um, you know, that could be potentially be a game the Lakers really need to avoid the play-in and the Suns could shove them to the play-in by beating them. And the Suns are going to go into that game undefeated, uh, potentially undefeated, but they have uh, with Durant, but they have a back-to-back Thursday, Friday, the Suns do. So the Suns could really choose which game to play. Um, and all of this is fascinating. I don't think it'll probably de- de- determine the title, but the difference between seeing a Warriors Suns first round series and seeing a Warriors Kings first round series, setting up the possibility of seeing a Warriors Suns conference finals could hinge on whether or not the Blazers can can take a game from the Clippers when they're offering it up. And so that that makes all of this more fascinating. Of course, if I'm a Nuggets grizzlies or kings fan listening to the last 10 minutes as i've just broken this down my ears are burning because i'm so angry because i'm saying well forget all this nonsense these teams stink my team's gonna win uh you know the 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 kings fans especially are like put some respect on our name the 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 nuggets fans um uh, you know, we'll say we, we, you know, this is the best team we've had in our history. They've never even been the number one seed in the history of the franchise, the 50 year history of the franchise. They've never been the number one seed. They're like, this is the best team we've ever had. Damn it. We're going to make the finals for the first time. And the Grizzlies, as you may remember, have, are, what was it that Josh said? We're fine. And everybody's <laughs> everybody in the West. We're fine. So, like, in the end of the day, the chalk could hit and we could be sitting there looking at a Memphis, uh, a Memphis-Denver conference finals with them telling everybody, I'm glad you wasted so much breath (laughs) talking about whether the Clippers or Lakers would end up as a sixth seed. You know, and the thing for me with Denver, where I'm leaning on them in the West, because honestly, I can't think of a time that a team was the best team in the conference and had one of the the three or four best players in the NBA, right? Like, forget about the MVP part, just talking about who the best players are. He's got to be one of the three or four best players in the NBA. With help like you got a 610 guy who shoots 40 percent from three you got jamal murray's a secondary playmaker aaron gordon might be your fourth best player like this is a good team and the best built-in home court advantage in the nba because of playing at altitude in a year where nobody in your conference can win on the road like it would not be shocking if denver got all the way through with seven game series and they won all the games at home yeah and if you watch them they've been the number one clutch team in the league this year like especially at home Last five minutes of close games, sleeper hold. Uh, you know, they went out and got KCP, uh, Contavis Caldwell Pope, and Bruce Brown, who Bruce Brown's one of, been one of the best free agent signings of the year. I mean, you'd have to be a Nuggets fan probably to really appreciate it, but um, they're way more versatile defensively because of those two guys. And like in a close in close games, they've been awesome at home, just killer at home. And so you know, you know that they're going to, you know, when you, when you can see the confidence they play with when it's close, um, if you're them, you probably feel pretty confident. The the thing about it is, is that they routinely sort of lose their way defensively. There's, you know, I talk about defensive ratings and, you know, this team's fourth, this team's third, this team's ninth. There's, there's, they're really tightly packed together. What you really have is three levels of defensive teams. You have good, middle, and bad. And 
the Kings are bad. The, you know, the, the, the nuggets are middle. And there are times where they really get it done defensively in times where you're like, Whoa. I mean, we got Michael Malone, their coach, they lost in Houston um, this week when they could have, could have clinched the number one seed. And he was like, we're soft walked in days before the playoffs and called his team soft. And he did it for a reason. And that's the thing. People see that and they are not afraid uh, of the Nuggets as his teams have been afraid of the number one seed in the past. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. Spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, the East, I think, is interesting because we always talk about how weak the West is. We don't talk that much about the strength of the East. As I talked about what was going on on the road in the West, it is fun to note five of the top six teams in the East have winning records on the road, and three of them have, like, I mean, four of them have, like, really good records on the road. A lot of that also, by the way, came from cleaning up on the West. But as much as I would love for Jimmy Pataro to be named the commissioner of the NBA so that we could somehow <laughs> get Phoenix, Golden State, 4-5 in the West, what do I need to do to get Miami into the six so the never-ending Jimmy Butler revenge against Philadelphia Tour could continue for perhaps seven more games? <laughs> so you're suggesting that you know Adam Silver, who's been rumored to be potentially the new CEO of Disney, he comes he comes to Disney and runs ESPN and Taro goes and runs the NBA. That would be a heck of that would an be amazing great. trade. Yes. You know, all right. So um, the best three teams in the league are in the East. Um, Philadelphia has a team that over the last, probably not may I don't know, probably half the time over the last decade, they probably would have had the number one seed with this team. This team is really, really good. And they are faced with far and away the hardest draw. They got to, they got to potentially play. You know, we'll see what happens with the Heat. The Heat could end up playing. He could end up winning the play-in and get the seven seed, and then you get a rematch of last year's conference finals with the Celtics that went seven games. The Heat do not care about the Celtics. Jimmy doesn't care about the Celtics. They are not intimidated by him. Um, the Heat have a lot of flaws on their roster, but Jimmy has been playing great for the for the second time in the last three years. Jimmy is probably going to miss the all-star game, but make all NBA, which I think is a personification of the way Jimmy kind of looks at the season. I don't think Jimmy is too dedicated to October, November, December, <laughs> January, maybe not even so much February, but when it gets to like post all-star break, Jimmy starts hitting the the gas and that is exactly what's happened this year. He's been one of the league's best players, certainly one of the league's best forwards in the last, you know, six, eight weeks. And so you definitely honor that because you've seen the guy single-handedly win playoff series. I mean, the guy is the guy carried the Heat to one finals and was like this close to upsetting the uh, the, the the Celtics last year on a bad knee, playing absolutely jaw-droppingly brilliant basketball. So he could, you know, that's going to be a, a first-round series there. 
potentially for Philly. They might draw Miami, depending on how that goes. Then they'd get Boston, who um, they went one and three against this year. The one win came on Tuesday night. They won by two points. Boston was missing two starters. And Embiid scored 52. (laughs) Embiid scored 52 in one of the command performances of his career on their home court. They won by two. One by two. Um, I would favor the Celtics in that series. Obviously, health matters and everything like that, but tough run for them. And then you got the Bucs, who have been the league's best team for the last three months. Um, It's hard to lay a hand on them. They've got like six losses in 40 games or something like that. So, or 45 games or whatever it is. They're just very difficult. Giannis has been absolutely tremendous. He's he's not going to win the MVP, but he's he's playing as good of a year as he's ever had. And then here's the thing, like the Cavs are not really a threat, but the Cavs have the league's number 1 defense and the number 7 offense. I mean, that is a profile of teams that have won the championship in the last 10 or 15 years. Rating that high in both categories they're the number two um, team this year in net rating, which is the differential in points over per hundred possessions, which a lot of analytics people think is the sort of gold standard of determining like who's the great teams of all time, like because they try to you know measure the 2017 Warriors against the 96 Bulls or whatever. They like look at net rating. The Cavs have been number two for months. Uh, all the analytics say the Cavs are a very formidable team. Also, by the way, like have the second best home record in the league, and they get they're gonna they're a fifty win team. They're the four, and they're gonna have a dogfight with the Knicks. That's pretty much gonna be a toss up series. So you look at that Eastern Conference, the strength of those top five teams in in relative standing dwarfs the strength of the West, and that's one of the things that if you're LeBron James and you're thinking about a way to scratch your way to somehow get to your fifth title, you're saying to yourself, I'm not afraid of anybody who's who's in front of me in the West. And to win this title, I might only have to beat one of the best three teams in the league because only one of them's coming out of the East. And trust me, some mountains LeBron's climbed to win championships, this ain't one of them. Now, he doesn't have the team. You know, he doesn't have the 2016 Cavs here he's bringing up. He doesn't have the 2000. Uh, 13 Miami Heat with him on this one. But out of the mountains he's climbed, this ain't the tallest one because there's so much strength in the East and only one of them could come out of there. All right. I want to get back to the LeBron point you just made, but something I wanted to ask about the East, particularly with Philadelphia. If you're Doc, how much counting on James Harden can you really do given that we have seen his movies for the last 14 years? And he's been dealing with an Achilles injury. Um he looked okay to me while I watched the Celtics game. He looked okay to me, but his numbers, he missed a handful of games. Admitted his Achilles have been bothering him for months. And, and when he came back, his first few games back, he wasn't right. His shooting percentage just plummeted. Um, you know, that's the Harden way. Here's the thing. Harden is going to be a free agent at the end of the season. He is going to be seeking a max contract. That is $50 million a year. Um, the Sixers are in position where it'd be hard to see them not paying him, but there is a measure of pressure on him. There's a measure of pressure on Doc because the thing about this is, Bo, and we knew this in October, the Bucks are loaded and expensive. They everything about them is set up for the title. The Celtics loaded and expensive. They're younger, but for the first time in a decade, their their owners said, "Okay, we're going to go into the tax." Um, big market team that doesn't always spend like it. Well, they're spending like it this year. Plus, they've traded away first-round picks to load up this roster. Philly. Philly's smoke and mirrored this season. They you know, sweet-talked Harden into taking a pay cut, so much so that the league investigated it and said, wait a minute, was there shenanigans here? Was there a, a wink and a smile that you know, you'll take a pay cut now to get the, the max later? People suspect that. We'll see. But by Harden taking the pay cut, they were able to go out and and, and uh, get a couple other players, specifically P.J. Tucker, um, Daniel House, and DeAnthony Melton to rebuild their depth. It's worked. They are a much deeper team. One of those three teams that is seriously, I mean, I don't know if I would say all in, but 
seriously invested in the season. One of those three teams ain't making it past the first week of May or whatever it is. They're going to be home watching the conference finals. And even if you have a very good defense that, hey, listen, we just lost to this stud team, I'm not sure that's going to fly. So somebody is going to get upset when they get knocked out of these playoffs. Somebody's going to have to do some answering for them. And Philly, unfortunately, has the toughest path and the most likely situation to have that happen. And with Doc in that seat, with Harden as a free agent, I don't know what's going to happen there if they get knocked out in that second round. Now, uh, we talk about those top four teams. I now live in New York City, and I have been to one Knicks game since I lived here because, A, why? And, two, why pay that money, right? Like, the money was just so much. It's just like I'm not willing to pay these prices to watch the Knicks. I went to watch the Knicks play the Charlotte Hornets, I want to say, in October, and it was like being around 20,000 people who had money on the game. I have never seen people more invested in a regular season basketball game in my life, which is to say... If somehow the Knicks beat the Cavs in the first round, and if they do, it will come down to some Tom Thibodeau special, right? Just figuring out how to cook something up that um, the younger coach is not able to overcome. If that happens and we get the Knicks in the second round, how much of a ticker tape parade are they throwing at Park Avenue at those league offices because the Knicks are actually halfway decent again? So speaking, we started this off talking about my my first weeks on the job as a 25-year-old in 2003. You know, I'd heard about Madison Square Garden my whole life, right? I remember I got there for the first time and I was like, this place is a dump. <laughs> you know, it's like there's nothing special about this place. They've since renovated it. It is no longer a dump. Um, but it was a dump when I first got there. And it's uh, right by Penn Station, which was New York's dump, the number one yes, dump of this city. For sure. There was nothing impressive about it. You flew to LaGuardia. There's nothing impressive about it. <laughs> Everything's different. I got gray hair. LaGuardia is gorgeous. <laughs> Moynihan Station is gorgeous. And the garden is way better. But one thing I will say that as I got a little bit around the league and around the world, frankly, there's nothing like a game in the garden. Um, Staples, well, whatever, crypto, there's definitely a star element there. Although people from the garden will tell you they get more celebrities, but it's not quite the same. The the the, the way the set is set up is at, at uh, in L.A., it's definitely more of a of a, um, a a celebrity element. There is nothing like the garden. The garden, and I heard people say this when I was young and I didn't buy it, and now here I am in my 40s going, absolutely. It is a tremendous experience to be in there. And I've been in there for college games. I've been in there for the NIT Final Four. You know, I've seen it. There's just something about that place. And, and they didn't lose it when they renovated it. They did a really good job. Um, and it is great. You know, I've been there for a few Knicks playoff games over the years. I was there the last time the Knicks won a playoff series, which was uh, with Carmelo back in like 2012 or 13, um, when J.R. Smith was, you know, hot and everybody was just in love with the Knicks. It is really something to behold. And Jalen Brunson is a special difference-making player. I don't think he's as difference-making as Donovan Mitchell. I could be proven wrong on that, um, but Donovan is – absolutely loaded for bear he um he totally smells what's coming and has had his his foot on the gas he's had four consecutive 40 point games as he's going into the postseason new york is home for for him uh i expect this to be i, I mean we might see warriors sons and if that's the case then that's going to be an incredible series but i expect nick's calves to be the most maybe the most exciting series in the first round i'm i'm thinking six or seven i'm thinking big haymakers each way the knicks might have a game where they slam the calves and vice versa games coming down to the very end jalen brunson trying to win games donovan mitchell trying to win games the garden just going crazy um i'm i'm probably not i'm probably going to be in the western conference personally covering games in the first round i would love to be at those games at the guard. And by the way, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, I mean, to me, it will always be the queue. Um, that place is gets terrific in the postseason too. And those fans have been pent up. They haven't had a playoff game in five years. So I expect both buildings to be just absolutely raw. And in the 20 year history 
uh, since we've had seven game series in the first round. They did went to that in 2003, 2002 or 2003. The fifth place team, uh, the fourth place team has won 58% of the time. So it's just more than a 50-50 toss up on an average situation. This is going to be more than average. And also the Knicks were three and one against the Cavs in the regular season, including last week when they slapped the Cavs without Julius Randle in Cleveland and, Rand- and uh, Brunson put up 48 and Donovan had 40. I think we're going to see more of that. Both those guys going over 40 multiple times. And uh, I'm very excited about it. And yeah, if the Knicks pull it off, they've won one playoff series in two decades. So it's a big freaking deal if they win a playoff series. And not only that, here's the thing that no one will talk about. Well, Monty, someday, I've been saying this for three years, and so I've I've just had to tra- transition to someday. Some star player is going to say, I want to be a Nick. T- go into his team and say, you will trade me to the Knicks. Like we've seen players force their way to Brooklyn. Like we just saw KD force his way to Phoenix. Like we saw Anthony Davis force his way to L.A. Someday. Somebody will say, I want to be a Nick. And the Knicks are totally flush with the ability to pay for multiple stars, plus have this momentum. If they have a good playoff run, it could be the impetus to get maybe a a star who's not happy with the situation to go into his team and say, I want to be a Nick, which is something we haven't heard in a long time. Well, I'm sure you heard some of those whispers I heard a couple years ago because there's a whole generation of players who've never seen Madison Square Garden be like that in the postseason. And so when the world started opening back up, the New York was the only place during those playoffs where they were doing crowd shots, right? Like the cameras, it was very clear we were still iffy on COVID. They weren't doing a lot of showing people. They were showing it all at New York. And there were a lot of people who saw it for the first time and wanted that taste of it. And I feel like if they can make it, now they got a roster that they could probably make something work. I had something else I was going to ask about LeBron, but you talking about Cleveland led me to what I think it's a bit more interesting thought, which is I think this will be the first time since 1998 that the Cavs have made the playoffs without LeBron Mm -hmm. James. And the relationship between he and his home region has always been a bit iffy and complicated at points. How important is it, as you as someone who is from there, how important is it in Northeast Ohio that they're doing this now without LeBron James. Not as though it's a problem with LeBron, but this is totally different doing it without him. Yeah, because I think even at the beginning of this year, before LeBron signed this last extension, people were like, oh, maybe LeBron will come back for round three. You know, <laughs> like that that door was still open in the mind. Like last year at the All-Star game in, in Cleveland, you know, he gave an interview where he kind of left the door. You know, that was when he was really frustrated. The Lakers didn't do anything at the deadline. And he kind of left the door open. He said, you know, I'm not closing any. I can't remember the phrasing, but he was like, um, I'm not, uh, you know, closing any doors or something like that. So that the idea that LeBron was going to come in as the savior again was still there. And I'm sure it was annoying to, you know, guys like Darius Garland and, um, uh, um, you know, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley who were trying to build something in Cleveland because they built this thing from scratch. Uh, when LeBron walked, they had nothing. Uh, they had uh, the, the 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 draft pick they got from Brooklyn for Kyrie Irving, or from Boston, you know, Brooklyn via Boston for Kyrie Irving. That ended up being, you know, Colin Sexton, who was good. He's a fine player, but he's hardly transformational. He's no Kyrie Irving. So this team, I think, is very proud of what it's been able to accomplish, and you know. This is a this is all new. None of these guys, I think Donovan was the only guy of their core players who was even alive in 1998. And I don't think he'd had a second birthday yet. <laughs> so for them, you know, this is a whole new generation. And LeBron's name isn't spoken anymore in Cleveland. Now when they look into the future, it's like, well, you know, can they keep Donovan long term? What can they do with Evan Mobley to help make him into the all-star people think he could be? Things like that. They've this team has really accomplished something that is on a cerebral level, like maybe huge, maybe just short of winning a championship. And that's gotten the Cavs fan base to stop talking about LeBron because they aren't. Um, now, LeBron has a, 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 you know, a free pass for anything. He will always be cheered and beloved in Cleveland. If the Cavs can't win, they'll root for the Lakers. When you look at the TV ratings, Cleveland's still watching the Lakers. You know, they're still invested in them but I don't think it's with a sense of longing anymore. Um, that said, I don't think that they have a championship team yet. This isn't, 
you know, their numbers are better than the 2018 Cavs, the last team that went to the finals, but their star power isn't quite there. And the East is much, much, much more difficult than it was uh, five, six years ago. So, but absolutely, this is a, this is a bit of a moment for Cleveland. And well, Monty, they're, they, they, they've got home court advantage in the first round. That hasn't happened without LeBron since 93, which is also the last year they won a playoff series without him. So both the Knicks and the Cavs, you know, like let's not overlook the value of winning that playoff series. We're talking about something that hadn't happened very often in the lifetime of most of the NBA players. Right. Last thing I want to ask you is we've talked about all these teams that are in the playoffs. We will talk about one that seems like it is not going to the playoffs, which is Dallas. And I just have a top to bottom. What the hell are you guys doing over here? Including the whispers that like, yeah, we think we'll bring Kyrie. You know, the idea that their plan is to resign Kyrie. Now, of course, we don't know at what money, which is where I think it all becomes complicating. But I'm not surprised that this has gone the way it has. And don't really think it's anybody like at least not players wise. I don't think it's any of their faults. But what are they supposed to do from here? Yeah, I think there's been an interest in wanting to blame Kyrie because Kyrie kind of kicked the calves in the shins. I mean, it wasn't his fault that they, the trade that they did, but definitely left on a bad note in Boston, definitely did some serious damage to the nets and people want to blame it on Kyrie. I don't think that's the case. In fact, I think Kyrie has generally tried to be on his best behavior since he's got to Dallas. He's got a number of different reasons to be motivated to do that. That's not surprising. Um, this is on the verge of a team building disaster. Now I say on the verge because there's a chance that they're going to, you know, they're going to be in the lottery and maybe they get lucky. Maybe they fall, you know, ass backwards into a top four pick and it changes everything. Uh, it's happened before we saw the Lakers fail to make the playoffs in LeBron's first year and then wake up with the fourth pick. And we're like, Oh, uh, how about we trade that for Anthony Davis? Um, maybe they salvaged the Kyrie situation either by re-signing him or signing and trading him somewhere. Because the one thing that was remarkable is that even after the Kyrie torched the, the nets and he asked for a trade within like 15 minutes, four teams were on the phone making offers. Now, one of those teams was Phoenix who subsequently traded for the other net. So I wouldn't think they would be in it anymore, but you had a, you had a bunch of teams if you know, you had the Mavericks Lakers, and Clippers all interested. And it's I can't rule out that the Clippers and Lakers wouldn't have interest again. So maybe they make a, a sign and trade with Kyrie at the end and do something. But they're on the verge of a, of a team-building disaster, and here's why. They made the conference finals last year. Terrific. Ahead of schedule, Luka was great. Since that time, they, are, they lost Jalen Brunson for zero. Nothing. Catastrophic from a team standpoint. And they did happen because they mismanaged his contract extension. And then they mismanaged managing, you know, his free agency. He never was interested in staying. Um, and obviously the fact that they didn't try to, uh, you know, outbid the Knicks when they could have was a mistake because the contract that Jalen Brunson signed is actually less than probably his value. They, they potentially could give away a, lottery pick now it's top 10 protected but depending on how they finish they can end up with the 11th pick which is a disaster they could send the 11th pick away to new york for a trade that was already a failure that's what the, that was the last piece owed for porzingis which is gone that's already gone so you could walk away with with giving up potentially a lottery pick and getting brunson for nothing and have this kyrie irving problem and if kyrie irving walks on them if he finds a place he can sign outright which I don't know if the Lakers are willing to tear their team, which is actually getting some traction to nothing, but it is possible. If I draw it out a whiteboard, I could show you how the Lakers could make space to sign Kyrie outright. What are they left holding? They're already out the 2029 pick that they sent in that deal. And you got Luka Doncic staring at you going, what are we doing here? Now I freely acknowledge that they could keep Kyrie they could they could get end up with the tenth pick, draft a guy at ten who's really valuable, or they could trade that pick. You know, they could keep the pick and not send it to New York, and then trade it for a really good player that could help them immediately. They have a couple of other young guys on the roster, uh, Josh Green and Jaden Hardy. Maybe they could trade those guys for something. They still have another first round pick that they could trade, twenty twenty five or twenty twenty seven, that they could maybe do something with. So I'm not going to sit here and say that 
they're they're screwed, but they have definitely painted themselves into a corner with the mishandling of Brunson and the in the short-term disaster that the Irving trade has turned into. And let me tell you this too. You talk about the prospect of Kyrie Irving going to the Clippers. That's like, hey, Ty Lue, would you like to quit your job? Like, like how, how would you how would you like <laughs> this job to drive you even crazier That's than what it I thought, appears though, too? But then guess what? The Clippers made an offer. Yeah. Like this no. is I at every turn I have been the one. Maybe I'm just not cynical enough. Where I've just been like, look, they can't be any. How many people are willing to put up with everything that's going to come with this? Like just because he fools you in the short term because he's trying to get his money. Like we saw kind of when he went back, got to Dallas. It was like, oh, some of this other stuff. No, I don't really apologize. Nope. It just seems like it's always going to be around the corner. And they're like, yeah, but have you ever seen that dude dribble? And I'm like, yeah, I have. It's really. Well, that's another thing. When the, the Clippers get off the hook because they're kind of a, a, a low profile team in a big market. But let's say the Clippers either end up in the play-in or get knocked out in the first round that's a 380 million dollar team including luxury taxes i'm talking about potential fallout in philadelphia here's fallout in, with the clippers and who knows what they would do with that roster but you know if they think that Kyrie could help them i could see them revisiting that hey look that's brian windhorse check him out on brian windhorse and the hoop collective available wherever you get your podcast and all over espn talk about the nba i think this is the first time we've had you as a guest guest not part of a feature man so i really appreciate you joining us thank you and i believe that you guys just got nominated for a very impressive award ah look at you so. throwing the oop yeah we got a webby nomination ladies and gentlemen the webby awards who they which they tell me is a very big deal um we got nominated for best sports podcast you can look up and go vote for that um at webbies.com i believe is the address so i appreciate you there and ladies and gentlemen thanks so much for joining us here on the right time we do this three times a week dance dancing adi Khan and parker owens handling everything behind the scenes thank you gentlemen also thank you for watching us on youtube remember follow the right time rate us review us give us five stars you only give us four stars i'm inclined to believe you are a hater and we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days take it easy Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.